little did you know, Ben and I took two hours to dress up as those ghosts and get into the cornfield. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just playing. Those are random people. Shout out Google. Uh, welcome to Oasis. I am so pumped you are here. My name is Brendan. I am the college and young adult pastor here at Grace Point. And you are at the week one, the very start of our new series, Ghost Stories. And so if you missed our last series, you can always catch anything we do on Sunday nights, either on Facebook, but like who's really on Facebook, or YouTube, or on the podcast, so you never can have to miss a week, so you can always go check, but week one is starting tonight, and our series, Ghost Stories, is going to run for the month of October, and so it'll finish on Halloween, which, like, I think is kind of punny, but I'm also, like, I'm weird like that. I like a little pun. Like, you can check out my Instagram. This is not a plug, but all of my captions are pretty much puns, so... We're doing this series, and the ghost stories is a play off of the idea of the Holy Ghost. And many of us would refer to the Holy Ghost as the Holy Spirit. And so at the central core of what this series will be is it will be teaching you about this third person of the Trinity that's the Holy Spirit. And so before I do any of that, I have to tell you a story about me in middle school. I know. I, I probably, like you, tried my best to block those three years out of my mind, but somehow in here it's still stuck, and maybe you'll see why this one's stuck. So take it back like a decade and a little bit. I was in seventh grade, and in seventh grade, I was like, I was an okay middle schooler. Like, I wasn't great. Like, I wasn't your stellar pupil, like, but I wasn't like really bad. So I was like somewhere in that middle ground, like an average seventh grader, like really annoying, but thought I was cool, all of those things. And what happened was me and this other guy, and I'm not going to name him, but I won't. I want to, but I won't. We had some beef, like real hard core middle school beef. Like, I didn't like him, he didn't like me, and to this day I could not tell you why. To be honest, like, I'm just going to say it, he was kind of a good-looking dude, and so maybe that was it. Like, he was like, I was like competitive, I don't know. Didn't like him, he didn't like me. So we fought, but like not physically, because I was really a tiny, skinny guy. So would never, verbally, like, uh, we didn't do that either, because we were really passive-aggressive again. This was middle school. But like, Behind each other's backs, we would talk about each other, and no, we didn't like each other. And this is not advising, so, like, if you're a middle school watching, like my brother, don't do this. But this is what I did. And so we had this beef, and it was seventh grade, and I was in language arts class. And we were doing a project. And there was me and three other people working on this project, and he was not one of them. However, those three knew that we had, like, this little fight going on. And so we were out in like our common area working, doing this project. I couldn't tell you what it is. It obviously wasn't important because I don't remember. But we were working on this project and these guys started like pestering me. Like they wanted me to talk about this guy. But there was a teacher aide there, like just an adult random helping us like cut paper or whatever we were doing. And so I didn't really want to, but I caved in because I'm terrible under people, like people pleasing and peer pressure. So middle school was, I'm telling you the worst. And so I was doing this project with them, and I started to tell them about this guy who I didn't like. He, was, he smelled, and he wasn't that cute, and he certainly wasn't funny, and nobody thought he was cool. And, like, he, and this was like my dagger. This was like my exclamation point. There was a rumor going around that he blow-dried his hair. And so I was like, and you guys are never going to believe this, but he blow-dries his hair. And at that moment... That was supposed to be like my final like punch. Like I was knocking him out in that they were all going to be like, Brennan, like they're going to love me and not like this guy. But the tone changed in that moment because the teacher aide spoke up and she said, she sat there. I'm not kidding you. For five minutes as I spieled about how much I don't like this kid. She said, 
that's my nephew. And she had the audacity to listen to seventh grade Brennan just go after her nephew. And so she pulls me aside and I don't know what it was about like the blow dryer, but she's like, he doesn't blow dry his hair. And it's like, who cares? But she started attacking me and she was like, you're wrong and you're a terrible kid and all these things. And I start to tell you this story about poor old middle school Brennan who is now scarred. And every time I see that person, like I've seen her a couple times, like I can't, I can't, I have to go away. I tell you this story because I didn't know who she was. To me, she was just a middle school teacher. She was just an adult nearby who wasn't going to do anything and didn't have any power. And I tell you that because that's how certainly the American church has started to treat the Holy Spirit. That we don't understand who he is. We don't know much about him. And so we don't think he has a ton of power and, he doesn't, and it doesn't matter how we live in accordance with him. And we start to reel back And I honestly think there's consequences there. And so I'm going to ask you to interact for like 15 seconds. So if you were to turn to your neighbor, and I'm serious, you do this or fake it and please me. Turn to your neighbor and say, describe who the Holy Spirit is to them. All right, you got 15 seconds. All right, five, four, three, two, all right, one, shh, class, all right, shh. Who is the Holy Spirit? Some of you, you probably got janky theology. You don't quite understand. Maybe you had no idea how to answer the question. That's okay. We're going to answer it tonight. And I have you do that because I think this is a pretty good sample group. Lifeway Research is a a company that conducts Christian surveys, and they surveyed thousands of people. I think it was 3,000 for this specific survey. And when they asked these 3,000 people, one of the characteristics that they had to be in order to participate in the surveys, they had to be a regularly attending American Christian. So all of these 3,000 people were regular church attenders. They sat in rooms like this Sunday after Sunday. And one of the questions on this survey was, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? 60% of them said no. And when they were asked to give a reason for why, they thought it was just a Christian symbol or something we had made up to teach ideas. 60% of American, these aren't like priesters, like they came on Christmas and Easter, regular attenders, people who week after week after week came to church services, 60% of them did not believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. That blows my mind. But tonight, there's a focus group here. And so there's a good chunk of us that probably don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. And what makes this so crazy is that the Holy Spirit, let me teach you something right off the bat, is a part of the Trinity. The Trinity is the idea that Christians hold to that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so by rejecting the person of the Holy Spirit, all of those people, 60% of Christian Americans become non-Trinitarian in their theology. 60% don't believe in the Trinity. Across global Christianity, there are 2.5 billion Christians. Out of those, there is 1% of all of those Christians that should be non-Trinitarian. Their doctrine and their theology, depending on their denomination and their beliefs, that 1% of 2.5 billion, those people should be 
non-Trinitarian, but yet 60% of American Christians are coming in under this heretical, non-orthodox, non-foundational belief of Christian religion. We don't know who the Holy Spirit is, but I want to teach us tonight because if we fail to know who he is, we'll fail to live with him. Who's the Holy Spirit? To answer that question, I'm going to take us on a biblical ride through cover to cover, and I'm going to do it really fast. So here's the first thing. In Genesis 1-1, if you have your Bible, it's going to be almost the front cover. You can flip open there, and I'm going to read two verses. So if you need a second, flip it open. They're going to put it on the screen. Genesis 1-1. It starts like this. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Some translations say void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now I'm going to paint you a picture of a little bit what just happened here. So if you need, if you're one of those people who needs to close your eyes, don't fall asleep on me. Like I'm I'm not deep enough into the message for you to do that. But you can close your eyes and paint this picture with me. God has created, and it's the first day. And in the first day, he split heaven and earth. But earth, it ceases to be what we know it is right now. All it is at this point is one globe covered entirely with water. But I'm not talking like nice nature park level easy water. No, I'm talking picture like titanic scenes, middle of the ocean, huge storm, chaotic, crazy water. Darkness everywhere. All there is is water. No land in sight. No light in sight. Chaos. And in that scene... The Spirit is there, hovering over the chaos of the water. And in that moment, we see the first instance of the Spirit, but the first instance of a Trinitarian God. Because God the Father is who we commonly think of as creator. Like, that's who you probably think when you think of who created everything. But in John 1, it tells us Jesus was there in the beginning, and all things were made through him. And then here we have the Spirit hovering over all of that chaos, bringing life and new creation into it. And that word there for the Spirit, get ready, you're gonna, I'm going to make you practice this. It's ruach. So like, ready? Three, two, one, ruach. Like you got to get a little phlegmy with it, like ruach. And it's a Hebrew word that actually has three different meanings. The first one could be wind. It could be translated, ruach could mean wind. And so through the Old Testament, you might see this word, and I don't need to describe wind to y'all. Like, you get it. We could have 75 degrees, perfectly sunny, not a cloud in the sky. You walk outside, and there's 95-mile-per-hour winds, and it's totally ruined your spring day. Like, what is—we chose to live here. We chose to live here. And so we get wind. But breath, that's another word that means ruach. Take a deep breath. You feel that? Fills your lungs. It's the same kind of idea as wind, but now it's inside of us as breath. But the third word it could mean is spirit. And that's where we see it start to describe the person of God. But all three of these are completely invisible. Like, I know you feel the wind. Like, trust me, we feel the wind, but you can't grab it. You can't touch it. You can't see it. Same thing with the breath and same thing with the Holy Spirit. But here's the idea. That even though they are invisible, that doesn't mean they're not powerful. And we continue to follow that breath through the biblical story. So if we're continuing, we'll go to Genesis 41. And Genesis 41 is the next time we see this ruach come into the life of a person. And that person is Joseph. 
You may be familiar with his story. You can go read it later if you're not. But in this portion, he's filled with the Spirit of God and he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams for him. And in that moment, God has set his entire nation, all the people that he claims are his, on a trajectory towards prosperity through his Ruach. From there, we continue to follow the Spirit, but yet now it's not to one person, but a group of people. And that group of people has the title of prophets. And the prophets, they don't quite function like everyone else in their culture. Rather, the prophets, they look at their culture, the world they're around, and they don't see it like others. They see it like God does. Because God has poured his ruach, his breath, his wind, his spirit into this group of people. And remember I was telling you the craziness, the chaos of what Genesis 1 was. The water was turbulent, the sky was dark, but the spirit was hovering. The prophets actually describe a similar situation. That God had made a really good creation. But something, I don't even have to say something, people broke it. And when they broke it, darkness entered the world. And so now the prophets are describing a scenario, a cultural world they're living in, where all they see is darkness and chaos and brokenness, but the spirit is hovering. They see it hovering over what God is going to do in the world. And from there, we continue to see the spirit move. However, it changes because they expected it to happen in their time, but it doesn't happen until thousands of years later. Because in Matthew 3, we pick back up the story and you have Jesus' baptism. And if you're not familiar with this chunk of text, please go read it later. Matthew 3 is my favorite portion of text. Because Jesus gets baptized, the sky splits open, and the Spirit descends. However, now the Spirit is not called Ruach. It's called Pneuma. And that's because from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the language changes. We're no longer speaking in Hebrew, but we're speaking in Greek. And so this is here, numerical. This is free information. Pneuma, Holy Spirit, New Testament. So in the change, you can help remember the language is changed. But the Spirit is still the same, and he's empowering Jesus to live the life he was meant to live. The perfect life. The sinless life. But guess who messes it up yet again? We do. Humans do. And we step into the story, and we crucify Jesus. We murder him. We hang him on a cross. But the Spirit's not done. And so the Spirit breathes life back into Jesus. Romans 8, 11, Paul will talk about how the resurrection comes to be enabled by the Spirit. And the resurrection leads to the next thing that just, this is, this is the best part for me. And I hope for y'all. John 20, 21, Jesus is resurrected and he goes to meet his disciples. And he says, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, empowered by the Spirit, I'm now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like kind of weird, like Jesus' boundaries. Like, you know, we can't imagine just, he just breathes on you. It's like, that's gross. But really beautiful. Spirit doesn't stop there. Acts 2, a couple of chapters later, the spirit that was given to the disciples, the people who Jesus lived closest with, is now given to all believers. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes to rest on all believers and empowers them to live anew. Now, this is where it gets good, in my opinion. The other stuff is good, but this is like, I'm a little selfish. So this is where it gets real good. Do you know you're a part of the story? I think we commonly forget, but in this book, your story is in here. 
Like you probably can't flip through the pages and find your name unless your parents were like super religious and righteous and like holy Christians. But when you flip through it, I'm joking, stop. You're all going to like text me that your parents are not that weird. But I love your parents. They're great people, I'm sure. In this book, your story's in there. Because in Genesis, God created, but in Revelation 22, Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, we recognize that that has not yet happened yet. So somewhere between the two covers of this book, we exist as people. And I'm going to tell you it's right pretty much thousands of years, but right in the story after Acts 2. You now have the chance to receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is still hovering and still wants to move in our lives. So we have to wrestle. We have to. We have to wrestle with the question, who is the Holy Spirit to us? To you. I'll give you the biblical story. But at some point, we got to get in the trenches and we got to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit to me? Can I turn to my neighbor and tell them who this Holy Spirit is? Can I answer Even though it's abstract, even though it feels odd, even though I don't fully understand, can I tell people who the Holy Spirit is? Can I live in accordance with him? If not, here's point one. The Holy Spirit is God. He's God. We don't like it. We'd rather have our God be God the Father, Jesus, and the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. We can feel that. We can hear that. We can study that. We can walk through that. We can ask others about it. We don't like the intrinsic, weird, Holy Spirit, ghost, odd idea that God is somehow present inside of me. We don't want that, but the Holy Spirit is God. And he's God because the Scripture says he is. He's spoken of as God. In Acts 5, verse 3, Peter is in this conflict with Ananias. And when he's in this conflict, he says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? I'm going to skip a couple sentences, but in the end he says, "You you, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Peter is addressing this conflict, he has now put the Holy Spirit and God on the same plane. Not only that, he's used them synonymously. That the two words could have been flipped. It would have been the exact same meaning. He's spoken of as God. Do we speak as the Holy Spirit is God? When you speak, do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you ask the Holy Spirit like you would talk to the Father, like you picture Jesus? But not only that, he is God because he has the characteristics that only God has. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at all times. And from the very famous Psalm 139 in verse 7, it says, Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit is also omniscient. I don't know if I said that right. Omniscient? That's better. Omniscient. It's the idea he's all knowing. 1 Corinthians 2.10, there are things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for he knows a person's, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The spirit is God. Point number two, he is a divine person. He's a person. 
This is where I really like to push people's buttons because you'll walk in here and I'll ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And you'll want to correct my grammar and say, no, what is the Holy Spirit? Because we've contextualized, we've boxed the Holy Spirit and it's become just an abstract idea to us. That he is no longer a he, he's an it. That it's not a question of who, it's a question of what to us. But we need to step back and we need to realize the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He's a who. And what that changes for us is we get to reflect on what makes us a person. Like, I, I had this person, I, I work at the Pancake House down in Sioux Falls every once in a while, and I had this person, she's an atheist, she came up to me, she loves to debate. I pretty much hate it because it's always pointless. Like, you're asking, l- listen to this question. She said, how come you're in a monogamous marriage when natural animals out in the wild aren't monogamous? She was asking me, why have you committed to one woman for the rest of your life? And I was like, you'd rather have me be like a deer? Like, like is that the better answer? Like I should just like hump anything that moves? Like, like what is this? Those are the kind of questions she asked. Like this isn't relevant. This isn't needed. Like, sure. Like I don't know what to tell you in that one. There's no scripture for how deer can, well, there's some. But anyways, when it comes down to it, what makes us us? It's the idea we have a mind, we have a will, we've got emotions. The Holy Spirit has the same. I just read you 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. In that, it says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God thinks, he knows, he's active, he has emotions, Ephesians 4, 30. And do not grieve or otherwise sadden the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He has emotions, but he also takes actions and he makes decisions. Romans eight twenty six. in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's a person. It's a who. It's a he. Those are the language we need to use. Do we speak of the Holy Spirit as God? Do we know he's a person? And once we do that, we start to look at his titles. And I'm going to breeze through these really fast because I'm going to give Ben a good chunk of talking through this. But the Holy Spirit's titles what we refer to him as when it's not the Holy Spirit helps give us a little bit of insight into what his actions are. The Holy Spirit is advocate, teacher, comforter. John 14, 25 through 27 will tell you those things. Think of your biggest cheerleader, your mom, your significant other, a teacher you had, a coach, like the person who no matter what they're going to root you on. The Holy Spirit's better than that. He's a teacher. He wants to teach us and encourage us in all things. And he's a comforter. I was having a conversation just this last week with another ministry leader. And I, he, he works with young adults. I said, what do you think the biggest need of young adults is right now? And he threw out some answers. And eventually we got to this place where it was, it's mental health. People need to feel mentally healthy again. The Holy Spirit is comforter. He's counselor. When you're in a moment of anxiety, I'm talking just worry, not medical. When you're in that moment, the Holy Spirit can help you. That's the peace of God that transcends understanding. When we're in a moment of low and depression and a hurt and sadness, the Holy Spirit is comforter. Other titles he holds, convictor, helper, seal. And like, not see like seal like the lion, like seal like sealed, closed. And in this, when he convicts us 
I want to tell you that none of you sit in the room tonight without the help of the Holy Spirit. None of you claim to be Christians, whether you're right or wrong, without the help of the Holy Spirit. In order for us to even believe that we're Christians, the Holy Spirit must come into our lives and help us to recognize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That's the first step, and he helps you sit in this room. He's convictor, he's helper, he's seal. And when, he said, when I say he's a seal, he's a deposit. That when we step into heaven, God sees the deposit and the seal he's put on us. Because to, ha- to believe in Jesus is to have the Holy Spirit. The two go hand in hand. So if you believe that you're a Christian, if you truly repent earnestly of your sin and believe the work of the cross, you have the Holy Spirit. Now you can, you can quench what he wants to do and speak, but you have the Holy Spirit. He's the seal of God on your life. And this is my favorite one. He's the indweller of all believers. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. It's right there for you. But here's the beauty of what this is. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, it changes the rest of the titles he holds. Because he's not just your counselor, he's not just your helper, he's mine. He's inside of me. The fact that he lives inside of me in some weird, crazy, odd way I don't understand changes things. He holds all the titles together. He holds the fact that he's God in your life, present everywhere you go. You can't outrun him. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's your biggest ally. And this is where I go back to that stat and I start to ponder because it breaks my heart 60% of people in American churches don't believe in the Holy Spirit. But as I sit on it, that makes sense. Like if I was the adversary to Christianity, if I was the enemy, I want to take out the thing that's most beneficial to you. That's the game plan. Take out the best thing they could have. The Holy Spirit is your greatest ally, and 60% of people just throw him away as some kind of religious symbol. Makes total sense. I'm going to invite the band up. But who is the Holy Spirit to you? Do you know him enough to be able to live life with him? We're going to take communion. And when you take communion, there's always, I hope for you, a moment of internal reflection that's part of the the process. That in when we hold the juice and we hold the piece of bread, it's not just a it's not just a religious symbol. It's an experience that God has embodied embodied his grace for us. He's physically given us his grace in these elements. And so we have a moment to reflect and to recognize who the Holy Spirit is to us. And so I pray that you do that because the the team is going to sing a song and it's focused on the Holy Spirit because Jaina is so good at what she does. And it's going to be a powerful moment for you to be able to step into meeting with with a person of the Trinity. So who is the Holy Spirit to you? Do you believe he's God? Do you believe he's a person? Do you believe he's comforter and counselor, teacher, helper, convictor? And if you don't, There's a beauty that tonight you could make that decision for the first time. I told you following Jesus and walking with the Spirit go hand in hand. So tonight, if you walked in here and you're like, I don't know if I've got it. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. 
you can leave with clarity in that. Like, isn't that incredible? You can know where you spend eternity after a moment like this. And so it's super simple, but the idea is you just repent, say, I'm a sinner, and I need faith in Jesus. And in that moment, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. And so I told you we were doing cover to cover in this walk through the Bible following the Holy Spirit, and I didn't give you the very last piece. And so in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, it says the Spirit and the Bride, they say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift, not earned, not deserved, completely free, let that person have the free gift of life. Pray with me. Father, thank you tonight for your Holy Spirit and the way that you just move in a place like this, that we can believe you're present here, we can believe you're moving and you're working, that you desire to tear down the walls we've built up in our life to soften our hearts, to give us just the truth of who you are tonight. And so I pray for those of us who have wrestled with just maybe a fear or an ignorance of who you are, God, that we would be open to receiving you afresh, that we'd be open to walking with you and living life with you. And I pray for those of us that want to make that first-time decision, God, that we say, you know what, I've tried living away from God. And I feel broken and I feel beat down and I feel the hardship of life. And following Jesus doesn't automatically fix all that, but it offers us a better way. And so God, I thank you for that. And I pray they'd have boldness to take that decision today and to walk in step with the Spirit, to go where he goes and lead where he leads. Will you pour your Spirit out on this community? Would you send us powerfully into the the spaces and the places we go to the friends and the family? in order to accomplish what you would like to. Pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.